So if you invest $100,000, it goes to two. Invest it again, it goes to four. Invest it again, it goes to eight. Invest it again, it goes to 1.6. Invest it again, it goes to 3.2 million. That's 25 years. So think about that. If you only made one investment at 35 or 25 and you let it roll, the difference is life altering because you're reinvesting, right? The compound effect. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you build financial independence through real estate investing and grow your wealth on Main Street with real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Trevor Thompson. Trevor was a longtime busy professional and was thrust out of the corporate world into full-time real estate investing. Today, we're going to go through his story, his corporate adventure to eventually getting kicked out of the corporate world at the beginning of COVID and now being a full-time real estate investor. We go through his journey of building passive income through passive real estate investing. Then once he was out of the corporate world, he was free. He was free to consider getting on the active side of real estate. So we dig into his lessons there as well, getting started as an active real estate investor. Lessons and mistakes and trips along the way to eventually start making that progress and start doing deals. To today, still out of the corporate world. It's almost three years later. He is a successful full-time real estate investor sharing a ton of knowledge with us today. For those out there who are wanting to get out of the corporate world, this is a great experience to learn from. Trevor was wanting to get out of the corporate world and he was ultimately kicked out of the corporate world and he has succeeded. So a ton of great lessons in this one for those of you out there who want to build passive income with real estate to leave your job. Well, this guy did it somewhat accidentally and he's been successful. You're going to learn so many lessons. I'm really excited for this one. Trevor's a nice guy. It's great to have him on the show. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. And to date, I have acquired, invested, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping Wall Street. You're building financial independence with real estate right along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Trevor Thompson. Here we go. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to go through your journey leaving the corporate world and how you found a new place in real estate investing. But let's rewind the clock for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background. Tell us about yourself, about your corporate history. We're going to go through you know, your whole story. Yeah, so I've got an unusual background. I'm originally from Niagara Falls, Canada. And so obviously, if you've been there, it's a tourist zone. So I actually started working for Ripley's Believe It or Not at age 13. Worked there all through high school. Then I went to Guinness World of Records. Worked there for 18 years. Grew my career there. So I actually managed the rights for Guinness for North America. So I ran one of their attractions in the Empire State Building in New York. Opened up a franchise location on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles. And then they sold the rights to someone else. And then I started doing some consulting on top of being in my Guinness World of Records job. 
So I actually opened a wax museum for the guys that bought the Guinness, a Hollywood wax museum in Branson, Missouri, of all things. Then I decided I wanted to move to the U.S. So I decided I was going to open a Guinness World of Records in Orlando, Florida, raised the money, got everything done, and then actually did a second deal at the same time for a year-round haunted house. And then Ripley's, oddly enough, bought the Guinness rights and wouldn't let me open the fund there. So I just moved to United States, opened up Skull Kingdom, of all things, a year-round haunted house in Orlando, Florida, and wasn't very successful, but, you know, I learned a lot of lessons. And across the street, this strange thing opened called I Fly Indoor Skydiving. I got recruited by a headhunter. Interesting story is the original team meeting, the owner gave everybody a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and talked about passive investing. And I was fascinated with the book, but I did what everyone else does. I'm too busy. I got no time. I don't understand it. I don't want tennis toilets and trash. And I just kept doing my corporate and very successful with iFly. I was there for 20 years. I opened 46 of 80 worldwide locations. So traveled extensively, very entrepreneurial. We took over some franchise locations that weren't doing well. Anyways, long story short, we got bought out by private equity. So I no longer had, I don't have any money because I got a fairly decent payday. So I thought, let me learn about this real estate investing. And also on the very big payday, I paid a lot of taxes. One of the things I remembered on real estate is that you're not going to, right? Because that was all ordinary income. So it was full tax rate, substantial. And so I started learning about real estate. And then all of a sudden, I went to a couple of those weekend seminars, you know, where they tell you to give them 50,000 bucks and they'll show you how to buy an office building with a credit card. And, <laughs> and that didn't quite sound right. And you know, they finally found a group and they talked about multifamily and I'd never really thought of apartments before. And, and then the next big aha moment was, wait a minute, I'm buying, I'm investing into a business. I'm, I'm not doing, you know, and the whole thing completely changed for me. All of a sudden I could realize that I'm investing into a business with a real tangible asset, with a real business plan going to make places better for people to stay and live in. And it just, boom, the light bulb went off and I started passively investing because I, I didn't, you know, first of all, I didn't have the skill set yet and the knowledge to become on the active side. And I was quite happy in my W2 job. You know, I enjoyed it. I loved what I did. And then COVID came and I uh, found out 20 years of service means nothing. I'm gone. I'm out. And I went, Man. And so I had some choices to make. And at the time I was volunteering, helping someone that I know is an LPB, an asset manager. And I thought, you know, I'm going to just do this full time. It was always an intention to end up doing it full time. You know, I say I was looking over the cliff and somebody just pushed me <laughs> and, and I'd already been very active in passive investing and, and educating myself. And so I switched and I went to full time. I'm still more of a passive investor than I am an active investor. Part of that is it's very hard to get deals and do things. So just to let the audience know, as of the recording date today, I've been a passive investor in 20 syndications. Six of those have gone full cycle. And now I'm a general partner in two syndications. One just closed a couple of months ago, San Antonio. And on that last one, I'm, a, I'm, I'm what I call a co-sponsor. I'm one of the lead sponsors and the asset manager for that particular property. Great. And 
So when was it, just to kind of give some dates of to when, you know, COVID and everything, when was it that you were let go from the corporate world? So it was around May of 2020. May of 2020, okay. Yeah. And it was an interesting thing too, because I'm sure some of your listeners are aware that once you switch over, you get the professional real estate status, it's, it's quite favorable. And so I actually was volunteering as an asset manager, which made me active. I got let go from my job, but I got a severance, but I wasn't putting time in for the severance. So I qualified for the time. So what to me at the time was devastating. And I'll be honest, I didn't even think of it till almost near the end of the year. I went, wait a minute, I'm actually a professional real estate person now, switched to my tax status and then, you know, started looking more for deals on the side. You know, we were talking a little bit before that's a challenge sometimes to get some of the deals working good. So nice. Okay. So you mentioned about, you know, you were looking over the cliff and someone just pushed you, which kind of almost makes it sound like you were, you were about ready to go, but I think you then just implied that it was a little tough initially, at least from a, from a mental standpoint to be like, oh man, you know, I'm, I'm kind of out, you know, flapping in the breeze here. What was that experience like to, to really get your mind, you know, straight and in the right place? We all went through our own experiences with COVID, of course, but, you know, your experience being out there, how did you, you know, keep your... Yeah, your so it was different. You know, my plan was always to leave on my terms. And, you know, I kept changing the leaving date, right? So when I get to 20 years, I'm going to be gone. And then some things started happening in the company and I went, oh, well, maybe I'll stay. And, you know, I was this point of like, do I stay or should I go? And then of course COVID happened. And then, you know, and, and then just the fact that there was no discussion of it, no nothing, even, even like I wasn't even let go by higher ups, you know, it was like, it was just like, what well, I'm just so disposable. It was like, and I'll bet not going to lie. It, I was heard for like really messed up, like, you know, cause I, I dedicated my whole life to them. Pretty much not my whole life, but 20, almost, you know, 20 years, five months, it's a lot of my life. And, you know, I worked super hard, didn't even take vacation time some of the time because we had stuff going on and, and it just goes to show how disposable we really are. That's the nature of the beast. And I'm sure some of our listeners out there can relate. I think it's important to be that, that when we talk about these experiences, we be honest that and, and open that, hey, this was tough at the time. I made it through. There was light on the other side, but but going through it was really difficult. And it's good to to have that perspective. So you're, you know, out of the corporate world, you'd been passively investing, you're, you know, moving forward and you wanted to get into the more active side of things to get some, you know, income coming in and all of that. What has that process been like for you? Yeah. So one of my original deals I got on, I joined somebody else's deal and it was a really good deal, like 240 doors in San Antonio, nice size project. I was like, man, I was on the top of the world. And it was a loan assumption with a third party pref equity and then investor. Six months, a loss of $350,000 and we could never get the lender to approve the pref equity stack. And of course the deal just didn't work without it. 75 of that was mine. I spent six months only working on that deal because it was going to take a lot of my time. It was a big deal. It was my first deal. I knew it had to be a home run. And so I just kind of put all my eggs in one basket and then, you know, the eggs broke and, you know, I started getting on it. My second deal was as the world started getting a little tighter, we couldn't raise the money for it. And then I picked up a position on a small, as I say, on a smaller deal in Columbia, South Carolina. 
basically where I brought some of my investors from the one deal that didn't happen and moved them over there. And then closing the one San Antonio was just like such a relief. It was like, I finally got one, you know, and it's, it's not as big. It's a 75 door deal. It's not as big. It's not as nice of an asset class, but it's still just such a relief. And it, it, it truly is, you know, the, and, and then since then I'm getting, you know, phone calls like before nobody would call me, right. Or, you know, barely even answer the telephone. Cause first of all, central Texas is a hot market. Right. And, you know, and now then once you close the deal, oh, I heard you close the deal. We've got one like across the street or in, in the same town or in the same area. And, and, and so that this, the, the, the first deal thing is a real true thing. And then now I'm going to be aligning myself with another, with another group that's got some deal volume that I think I could bring some value to them. So I'll be able to hopefully to get on a smaller piece, but of more deals with, with the same team. Awesome. That's great. So I think a lot of times folks can, you know, especially people who are selling programs can make this multifamily business sound like, you know, it's so easy. You just fall into money. You're just tripping over money. Oh man, how you know, there's deals everywhere, you know, it's not going to be any problem, but you mentioned that first one that, you know, went sideways, didn't work out. And this is just the reality. Frankly, I'm glad you're willing to talk about this because a lot of people aren't willing they, to talk about these experiences, yeah. but they do have them happen. So let's dig, dig in. You didn't close on the deal, but you still lost some money. How did that happen? Yeah. So what happened was, is, you know, first of all, we had real costs, right? Lawyers. And then we kept rewriting this pref equity agreement and paying, paying fees. We had to pay twice to apply for the mortgage. And then we had to ask for extensions of the seller and there was non-refundable hard deposits to, to extend the contract. So a combination of money we spent thinking the deal was going to happen and getting ready to hit the road running and hard money, you know, so it was, it was just, kind of a series of sad things that happened and you know it didn't happen again you learn you learn lessons i learned some things oddly enough you know i said i'm never doing another loan assumption again as long as i live well the deal i just closed is a loan <laughs> assumption so obviously you can't trust me no that not trust me but can't trust myself and it was different though it was a higher ltv so we didn't need to have any any sort of loan in the middle so we just had to get the loan assumption approved and it was at a 71% LTV. So it was, you know, pretty much normal that you might be able to get. Just couldn't get any of the CapEx, of course, funded. Okay. So the that, you know, leads me to my question about that deal is is what is the big lesson out of that deal? If it's if it's not, hey, never do a loan assumption deal. What did, what was your big takeaway? from that experience. And, yeah, and so was, also if I can stick in there, what was the size of the deal as well? I think we might've missed that. So it was 240 doors, 25 million. So it was a big deal, especially for your first deal. You know, it was a big deal and it was so crazy. So I was actually, so the whole thing and, and the big lesson learned is when you're in that position, you have given away all of your power and you're completely at the mercy of, and I don't know if anybody's heard of Charles Dobson, but he, or Dobbins, he's a lawyer. He has a mentoring program now. And I was on Shark Pool with him a couple of times. That was a show that aired last year where people presented deals and we vetted the deals and very much like Shark Tank only with real estate deals. And literally the night that it collapsed, I, he posted a YouTube video about how you're a loser 
uh, if you end up in a position like this where you've given up control. <laughs> and I mean, I almost wept, you know, because he was pretty like, you're an idiot if you do this. And I, of course, just spent six months doing this. So, so being in a position, again, I know you got to get loans approved and you got a lot of things to go through. But when you're 100% at the mercy, and loan assumptions are very tricky, right? A lot of people don't know how tricky they can be. So they already got somebody in the hook paying the loan. So unless that person is at risk, that there's no reason for them to want to do this, right? And so, and then there's not a lot of money made because they don't make any more money giving me the loan. They get a small little fee for doing it, but they're just not equipped. They're equipped to write new debt. And so, you know, and... And it was, it became very apparent that I became an ostrich and stuck my head in the sand because they were very unresponsive. I should have started reading between the lines, like they are looking for ways to say no. And I didn't, you know, I kept thinking they're going to say, yes, we can, we can get it. You know, we hired a special lawyer that said, I can write an agreement that will get approved. And, you know, they didn't even comment on our new agreement, which is a big indicator, right? That they're not even commenting. Like if you would change this, we would say yes. And I was like, Hmm, you know, so I definitely learned that, that you, and I don't want to say I was desperate to get a deal done, but I was close to it. Right. I was, I got invested in, in, in it, in something and maybe, and again, no investors lost money, hundred percent return to the investors. You know, us as sponsors lost the money, right? We had, you know, we had $6 million of investor money sitting in the bank and it was all returned within seven days. Um, so, you know, so I want to make sure that people that are investing understand that, that that is the general partners that are taking the risk. And I may not have been so, I might have not taken the risk if I'd understand a little bit more about how much risk I was taking. That is why, you know, that's why they call risk capital is unfortunately yeah. until you get the deal closed, a lot of those sunk costs are sunk and the deal can fall apart. Yeah. So we're for listeners out there who don't know, we're friends on Facebook. We've known each other for about a year or so. Uh, we might've been Facebook friends longer than that. I don't know. But something I've noticed is that out of the couple thousand people that I'm Facebook friends with, it seems like you go to more networking events than anybody else, or at least you post about it more than anybody else, which do. still counts. How has that played into, you know, your success with this strategy and, you know, just everything? I mean, you're, you're obviously pretty avid and pretty active at getting out there. Yeah. yeah. So it's super critical. So, you know, you hear it said that your network is your net worth. And I definitely was able to level up and connect with people that were well above my level, putting myself out there, volunteering to do things. It's opened so many doors of opportunity for me. And, and I haven't been able to monetize it all yet, but it's coming, you know, because I'm, I'm getting well known in, a, in the space. And I'm also getting well known because I post a lot of education for passive investors and you know, that's, I made it, I made last year at the end of 21, you know, I made some things I wanted to do. So I wanted to have a thousand people reach financial independence. Now that doesn't mean a thousand people investing with me. That means a thousand people that somehow I've touched and I said something that unlocks, right? So hopefully somebody was, was thinking toilets and tenants and trash. And then all of a sudden I heard it's a business and you're buying a real asset. 
and there's a plan changes your mind, right? A lot of people think, well, I don't want to take my money out of the stock market. It's a known, it's not a known risk. Okay. Apple computers is a wonderful company, right? Russia invades Ukraine and Apple computer stock goes down. Did they do anything wrong? No, it's the world. So it's not like, you know, it's a whole different thing, right? It's people don't get that. They just don't relate it. They think, oh, this is like, you know, something. And, you know, the only difference probably is that you make more money in real estate, but it is less liquid. You know, it, it's just bizarre that it, and it, when I say bizarre, took me till my fifties to finally like figure it out. Right. So I'm, I'm obviously a slow learner, <laughs> but once I learn, you know, once I, once I get into something, I commit with both feet as you could, as you know, to all of a sudden being 20 LP deals and, you know, and, and I'm obsessed with it now. Nice. So you mentioned about, you know, things that you've learned as on, once you've gotten into the active side about the risks and, you know, ed you're educating other passive investors out there. So how have the things that you've learned by stepping your foot into the active general partnership side? influence the way you think about your, your passive investments? Yeah. So I definitely learned a lot from my own passive investments, right? Cause I did so many and I, I've got some winners and some, I don't want to call them losers, but they weren't winners for sure. You know, learned a lot. Like, so the biggest lessons I've learned is who you give your money to is the most important of anything, right? So figure out who they call it, know, like, and trust, but even take it one level further, right? You know, I'll be honest, like, I, I spend a lot of time now looking and, and studying people and following them and, you know, stalking them almost and showing up at webinars, listening to their podcast before I give them my money, because I really want to know who they are. And then I need to, you need to learn some of the other things about, you know, where would you invest, right? So I've been fortunate that most of my investments are in Texas, you know, so pro-business state, great growth state, you know, lots of, lots of good factors that are coming in. There's still some people that have overpaid, right? Cause you know, it, when it gets competitive and, and it was easy to win, you change, you know, you, you maybe got your guard down. And I also think that's the reason why I didn't get is I, I just never got the best and final cause I just couldn't get, you know, get the numbers out. Right. I, I tell this one story, I was, there was a whisper price was nine and a half million and I've been losing deals like crazy. So I got a group of guys together and we decided going to offer $10 million, 1% hard day one, which is $100,000. There was four of us, 25 each, 15 days due diligence, another 100 hard. Wow. Okay. Crazy, right? We're putting 200 that and we're offering a half a million more than ask. We weren't even in the running, not even in the running, not even, don't even bother writing it up. I was told <laughs> and don't even bother writing it up. I'm like, what? And then we went up two times from there and then we said, we're out. Like we just can't. Now in hindsight, it was about the middle of the rise. So we probably would have been all right, but we just couldn't risk. I couldn't risk it. Mm -hmm. So how, have, how has that influenced your, your strategy to get into deals on the active side and you put together partnerships, add value. It sounds like you put a few different groups together to go out there and make offers, but you know, we don't win all the offers. Obviously we do have to make quite a bit of offers to get a property under contract. How has that influenced your participation in teams or your formation of teams to get deals done? Cause you're still. Yeah. So I'm very happy teams. with my current team. You know, we, we've got an offer going to come out if, and next week when they call for offers comes out of 
a similar deal to where we were currently. So it's like 15 minutes away. It's a loan assumption, a little less LTV, but also a little nicer property. So not as much CapEx and, you know, so, so we, and, and we have track record to say we can close. Like we just did one right where before, you know, it was harder to say that. And we do have a couple of people on the team that, you know, can get us the check boxes that we need for the loan assumptions. And so, and, and it's just, and again, opening the door, just getting the deal done. Right. Um, um, people that wouldn't return my phone call all of a sudden are, are calling me saying, Hey, I got something. Are you interested? But you still, you know, people say, Oh, how is your, the way, and I don't underwrite very well. So that I don't want to brag that I underwrite. I've got a partner. He really good at underwriting and I can read it. I understand the logic of it all. When they're saying, well, how are you underwriting differently? And I said, well, we're actually not. We were always underwriting very conservatively, very risk averse. You know, the only difference is, is the numbers changed a bit. So you've, it's the deals even got to be better to work at, at different higher interest rates or whatever it is. Absolutely. Great. So before we go on to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, I'm sure we have some listeners out there right now who are Trevor before he got laid off. He's they're in the corporate world, you know, maybe they're thinking about getting out, but not quite ready. And also not sure that they're really going to be prepared to, to continue, you know, financially or not, maybe not ready. Any words of wisdom for that person out there who wants to get themselves set up to at least be ready to leave the corporate world expectedly or unexpectedly? Yeah. So I'm one of the opposite guys that tell people to stay doing their job for a period of time until they reach uh, a certain level. So a lot of people say, well, once my passive income can support me, I'm going to leave my job. And I actually want to propose something slightly different. Okay. If you think about it, if you invest a, averages double your money every five years. So if you invest a hundred thousand dollars, it goes to two, invest it again, it goes to four, invest it again, it goes to eight, invest it again, it goes to 1.6, invest it again, it goes to 3.2 million. That's 25 years. So think about that. If you only made one investment at 35 or 25 and you let it roll, the difference is life altering because you're reinvesting, right? The compound effect. So real estate is beautiful because we use leverage. But the other beautiful thing is the most tax efficient money earned to you and let it roll and let it ride. So I tell people, don't get, get past. I can get off and live on my, my current income and get to the point where I got so much passive income coming in. I don't know what to do with it all. Then make the, and I understand not everybody's as patient to wait, but that's for the people that are in a position they really love, right? They really love what they're doing. I loved iFly, you know, every job has its ups and downs, but I loved it. And yeah, so, so, but, but when, when you do do it, make sure you've got, you're well-educated with a good team. Absolutely. Well, the unfortunate reality that, you know, your story, it's, is that everyone in the corporate world is disposable and it's just the fact, whether you love it or not, we still need to be, it's it's prudent to do what we can to acknowledge that reality that we're disposable. And then, then one other factor too, you know, we talked a little bit about the gurus and the, uh, you know, the, I've got a mentor that calls them the lies of the lies they all tell you. I'm not quite sure it's lies, but again, if, if joining the mentorship program takes your last $25,000, and you're hoping to get on a deal and go quicker, I say, invest your $25,000, go to your work, 
let that money grow, learn and educate through, you know, don't do it that way. Right. And, 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 and at the end, yes, you can, but wait until there's more than enough to sustain your lifestyle. Now I got pushed off a cliff, so I wasn't quite at the, at the maintain my lifestyle. I'll do okay. But you know, I still hopefully get to live a few more years and I want to leave a bit of a legacy for my family. So, you know, and, and I love what I'm doing. So that makes it easier. Awesome. Well, thank you for all of that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and Get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Trevor, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah, so I, I mean, boy, other than your education, my best investment was a real estate deal in Tucson, Arizona. They tripled my money in 20 months. Dang. Um, nice. And I, I vetted that sponsor for a year. Nice. Hard to, hard to argue with that one. Multifamily? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Nice. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment? Yeah. Made? So I'm in one right now. They've had a fire and the loan proceeds are not enough to fix the damage. They didn't have replacement insurance, something I never even thought to ask. I just thought everybody had it. And I got an email three days ago that they're going to accept an offer that will satisfy the debts and give us a small portion of our initial investment. That's not the email you want to get. And I never thought to say, well, do we have replacement cost insurance? So now it's added to my list, as you can imagine. <laughs> that is a tough lesson. I mean, I, I suppose I would have basically made that assumption as well. I mean, who doesn't yeah. get that insurance, but they didn't yeah. get it. Wow. Tough lesson. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's showing up. I mean, I know that sounds super, super simple, but showing up and giving energy, right? Connecting, you know, Jim Rohn says, if you give people what they want or what they, they, you, what they need, you'll get everything that you want. So putting yourself out there and being a giver. Another great book is The Go-Giver by Bob Burr. Highly recommended. And it's all about giving. And, and, you know, I don't ever call anybody up and say, could you do this for me without a, what could I do for you? And that's how I became even a volunteer asset manager. Like we talked about, I said, I want to learn and help. Let me help. Get that on your resume and also get a yeah. pretty sweet tax situation as well. Just yeah. happened to work out for you. Well, Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to reconnect with you and share all these lessons with our audience. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah. So the easiest is on LinkedIn. So you got to remember the K, K Trevor Thompson. Just put a little message that you saw me on this podcast or on a podcast. My company is Niagara-Investments.com. 
So you can find me there. I also have a Facebook group, Earn and Learn, because I want people to be able to do both. And then, you know, that I have a YouTube channel as well. That's where you find the most interesting man in the world video. So (laughs) awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.